Amen. Thank you, choir. Great job. We are one at the feast. Amen. Amen. It's great to know that not only has that reservation already been made for every one of us, no matter who we are, where we've come from, but it's also great to know as we've been celebrating all morning that Jesus is there and he'll never leave us and never forsake us. And what a great thing to know this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, it is good to be in your house. It is good to worship you. Remind us again, Lord, that worship is not about what we receive. Remind us it's not about how we are entertained or how we are made to feel. Remind us that it is about us falling upon our knees before you in praise and adoration and thankfulness for all that you are and all that you have done. Thank you for the fact that you will never leave us and never forsake us. Thank you for the fact that we are invited to the feast. Thank you that we are all one, no matter where we come from, what we've done, because of the grace that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we open your word, speak to us in ways that not only makes us think, but speak to us in ways that changes our hearts and changes what we do with our hands, changes what we do with our time. May we be more like you. May we do more of the things that you call us to do. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. How many of y'all, how many of you remember me? Anybody? I was here two weeks ago. Any, any of you know who I am? Any of you have a clue? Ed? No, not really. It's not really my name. Anybody else? Let's have someone stand up in the audience. I need a volunteer. Just someone stand up. Go ahead. Come on. You are scared to death, aren't you? It's not that hard. I just need someone to stand up and tell me your name in the back. Iris? What is your full name, Iris? Don't. Yeah, all of it. Any you've ever had. The one you changed illegally years ago, whatever you have. There you go. Great job. Well, my name is Charles Edward Rogers Jr., which is better than what my dad and mom thought about, which was naming me after my grandfather, which was Worthy Leo Rogers. Instead, they named me after my dad, who's Charles Edward Rogers Sr., he just got senior because I'm a junior. You know how that goes, right? And so I am Charles Edward Rogers Jr. How many of you have names that a lot of people don't really know your full name? Anybody? It's kind of who I am. I go by Ed. Very few people know that my name is really Charles. Except there are some times in my life where people use that full name. There were times when I was growing up that my mom used that full name. My, my sister's four years younger than me. She's not near as well behaved as I was, but she always, always got me in trouble for doing things. How many of you love football? You know how unsportsmanlike conduct calls go? The person who did it first never gets caught. It's the one who responds. That was me growing up. My sister always did something, and I got in trouble for responding, and my mom always said, Charles Edward Rogers Jr., get up here right now. There are other times in our lives when our full names are used that maybe aren't so much us being in trouble, but times when something serious is happening in our life. When we graduate from high school and the principal reads our name off of the diploma and reads our legal name, when we maybe go and fill out papers and we have to refer to our legal name, when we're getting married or, or whatever it might be. A few years ago, as a matter of fact, it's been four years ago in February, 
I had a very interesting day in my life. I drove to uh, Grafton for a funeral of a family member of my wife's that was gone way too young in his life. He died a sudden death, um, only in his 50s and very unexpected. And I sat in the church and I listened to people use his full name. I listened to the the preacher who was doing the service read his full name. I listened to people use his full name even out in the audience as they were talking. But what I heard even more than that was how he was related to them. In other words, this was Richard Allen Craft, my dad. Richard Allen Craft, my best friend. Richard Allen Craft, my, you know, my son. Richard Allen Craft, whatever it might be. And I was thinking about this as we were getting out of the funeral and our phone rang and it was our daughter and she was in a panic because she was pregnant with our first grandchild, our only grandchild at this point, although that's supposed to change in December, supposed to have another one. And she was panicked because she had gone to the doctor for an appointment and he said, look, we need to go in and put you in the hospital and take the baby, do a C-section. Everything's going to be okay, but we got to do it right now. And she's calling saying, Mom, Dad, you got to get back to Parkersburg. I'm in the hospital. I'm going to have this baby. You have to get back. And so we rush back and we go straight in to the hospital. And again, I hear the name, Abel David Emrick, the full name being used. But I hear this, Abel David Emrick, my son. Abel, Abel David Emrick, my grandson. Abel David Emrick. My nephew, Abel David Emmerich, you know, this, that, and the other. And I began to think about this whole idea of how we use names and they mean so much to us. And on that particular day, I was taken to this exchange between the disciples and Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 29. And it's a very simple passage of scripture that it says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Think about this exchange for just a minute, knowing what we know about names. Think about the fact that Jesus had just performed miracles and and was questioning and being questioned about the verses above, uh, uh, the lack of understanding that the disciples had of who he was. And now he asked this very pointed question, who do you say I am? And what about you? Jesus, what an incredible name. But is this Jesus the Christ? Is this Jesus my Lord? Is this Jesus my Savior? Is this Jesus my best friend? Who do you say he is? Now, if you go through the scripture, you begin to find that he gives us all kinds of help in answering this question. He gives us different names in scripture that are incredibly helpful at bringing us to an understanding of who he is. You all know a lot of these names. You've studied them throughout the scriptures. You've heard things like Son of Man, Son of God, King of Kings, Lamb of God, Lord of Glory, Light of the World. And while these names all point us to the characteristics of Jesus, point us to the very heart of who he is, to his very character, they don't really carry the same meaning unless you can answer, 
who he is to me. Unless you can say personally, he is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my God. After all, Richard Allen Craft and Abel David Emmerich don't really mean a lot to you, do they? You don't really know anything about those individuals because you haven't been in relationship with them. But to the people who were in those rooms on that Friday in the winter four years ago, their names meant everything. This morning I want to look, before we go to this table that we're all invited to, I want to look at just one of these names and kind of relate it to our own personal experience and our own personal relationship with Jesus I want to look at the name that he uses for himself when he calls himself the bread of life. And I want you to think about the upper room when Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed and getting ready to go to the cross and die for our sins. And he's sharing this meal that we celebrate today that we call communion, this, uh, this meal in the upper room. And, and, and the instructions on the meal with breaking the bread and sharing the cup and how it is referenced to the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to, to think about what happens as they move out of that room and as events unfold. As Peter denies Jesus, as the comforting promise of the Holy Spirit comes, as they begin to get a little maybe of what had been told them before about our Lord. Look over in John chapter 6, verse 25. <clears throat> in chapter 6, verse 25, an amazing kind of thing happens here in this exchange. And, and I believe that in those minutes and hours after that upper room experience, many of the disciples would have reflected back on this experience. Many of them would have begun to get it a little bit more. But if we go to John, what we see there, starting in verse 25, says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you are the loaves, and had you ate the loaves and had your fill. Your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on... on excuse me, on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise him up at the last day. 
Now, now can't you see, if you follow what I'm saying here, in the upper room, when Jesus is beginning to break this bread that we celebrate today, when he's beginning to pour this cup, can't you imagine that they begin to think back to this exchange when they hear him say, I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance of life itself. I am the very basis of life itself. And can you see as events unfold, and as Peter denies him, and as others uh, uh, experience the Holy Spirit coming later on, and as this story just continues to unfold, can't you see them just getting it, that Jesus is everything. He's the source of real life. He's the source of full life. He's the source of abundant life, of satisfying life, of satisfactory life. He is the abundance of a, a life of contentment. He is the source of eternal life. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, and they're searching in a lot of places, and what they're really looking for is the good life. Any of you know those folks? They're looking everywhere to find a better life, a good life, a life of contentment, a, a life where they are satisfied, a life that is full, a life that is real. And Jesus is saying to not only those disciples, but he's saying to you and I, I am that real life. I am that bread of life. I am that very sustenance of life itself. The very concrete being of life is found only in him. Now here's what we do, okay? We are in this fixer-upper kind of world. Have you all watched those shows on TV where they take that old wreck of a car and they take it into a garage and they fix it up and they make it look really nice and it's brand new, it's completely redone? Or they take an old house and they fix it up and you look at that and you think, man, what skill they have to fix that up. Well, if you watch these shows, kind of the trend today is not to completely fix things up. It's to fix them up a little bit, but make sure everybody knows they're still old, which was always the way everything I ever fixed up was anyways, right? If I buy an old car and fix it up, all I have is an old car that's been fixed up. If I buy an old house and fix it up, all I have is an old house that's been fixed up. And yet Jesus tells us he doesn't want to fix us up. He tells us he wants to recreate a new person out of us. He wants to make us completely brand new, but here's what we are, are, are okay with. We're okay with just fixing ourselves up enough. My life will be good enough if I just lose some weight, right? My life will be good enough if I just get a better wife. My life will be good enough if I just make enough money to be happy, my life would be good enough if, my life will be good enough if, and we take this old wreck of a life that we have, and we do everything we can to try to fix it up. And we still just have that old wreck of a life fixed up, a little prettier, a little nicer, running a little bit better. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a What? A new creation. The old has what? Gone. The old hadn't been tweaked. The old hadn't been fixed up to look better. The old hadn't been just messed around with. The old is gone and the new has come. 
And so Jesus says in relationship to this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are in the business of not helping fix people up, but of putting them into the arms of a God who can do a complete overhaul, a complete renewal, a complete recreation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes through the Father except through me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I would love to know how many of us here who follow Jesus really feel like we have a full life. I've met a lot of Christians in my days, and I don't know a lot of them who really act like They've got the great life. I had a grandfather. My grandmother turned 90 years old yesterday. And I'm leaving here and going to Point Pleasant for her birthday party. My grandfather is 20 years older than her. She was my step-grandmother, his second wife. My grandfather lived to be 94. My grandfather had a son that had polio when he was a teenager. Spent two years as an inpatient in a hospital and in facilities. While he was in there, my younger uncle... My grandfather's youngest son had a motorcycle wreck, was in another hospital for three months, thought he wasn't going to make it. Two years after all this went on, my grandfather's oldest daughter died of Hodgkin's disease. She was married and had a little girl. Her husband was killed in a steel mill accident before the little girl even turned five years old. And my grandfather's wife, my real grandmother, died of MS when she was 34 years old. And my grandfather, his entire life, had a saying, and this was it. It's a great life. It's a great life. And when I preached his funeral, I stood up front and I said, here's the thing. There's only one way. Every one of you in here that knew him know what his life was really like. Know the grief that he encountered. Know the struggles that he had. There's only one way in this world that he could say every single day, it's a great life, and mean it because everyone who knew him knew he meant it. And that is, he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He knew that Jesus was the bread of life. It's a great life. Well, if Jesus is the bread of life, and we know him personally as our bread of life, then why do we look like we're sucking on lemons and eating prunes all the time as Christians? Why is it? Well, Jesus knew we would do this. In John 3, 19, he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All of you have kids, or all of you who do have kids, not all of you have kids, but all of you who do have kids have seen this happen. You watch something unfolding in your life. You watch them doing something. You know it is absolutely the wrong thing to do. You know it is not going to turn out well, and yet you have to watch them go through it anyways, don't you? And you just shake your head. You're like, what in the world are you thinking? Why in the world are you doing this? Kind of like the commercial. Have you seen the uh, Windex commercial where the birds are sitting there and watching people walk into the sliding glass door time after time after time? You know, it's like, when are they going to learn? When are they going to learn? When are they going to learn? There is just something about us being human that even though we know 
Tons of people have tried money. Tons of people have tried fitness. Tons of people have tried sports. Tons of people have tried relationships. Tons of people have tried fame. And we know it doesn't work to give us lasting meaning in our life. We know it doesn't work to give us that abundant life. We know it doesn't work to give us full life. And for goodness sake, we absolutely know it doesn't work to give us eternal life. But we still go there. What's wrong with us? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I love you enough to break this bread of life so that it can be shared with you. Enough to spill this blood so that it can cover your sin. Jesus invites you to fall in love with him today. The disciples in the upper room, when Jesus broke that bread, they may have been getting it some, but they undoubtedly remembered his words, I am the bread of life. But they were heading for a scene that we look back on, this scene of the crucifixion, this scene of the resurrection, that would show them the full extent of what it means that he is the bread of life. Every one of us here today has opportunity to experience that kind of life. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not about him. Not like you know Abel David Emmerich. But you, do you know Jesus like I know Abel David Emmerich? Do you know Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, my bread of life? Let us pray.